You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Workhole of the Action Network in Rotoviz. Welcome to the September 14th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Uh, Nick, I always pause at the top because I have to look to see what date it is. And I can't believe it's already like the uh, middle of September. Uh, I know that's crazy. Yeah. We're in, we're in it, the football season and the playoffs for NASCAR. They are here. It's a great time of year. Yeah. It's a great time of year. NFL starting NASCAR playoffs. It's exciting. And, uh, yeah, hometown of Vegas this weekend is the race. So I'm excited. Yes. Uh, let's talk about that. So, uh, the race is in Vegas is the opening race for the playoffs. Um, before we get to that, we should recap what happened at last weekend's Brickyard 400, where Brad Keselowski won his second crown jewel race in uh, two weeks, having previously secured the Southern 500 the weekend before. Uh, are there any lessons that we can take away from the Brickyard 400? Yeah, there are. So this was one of the craziest, weirdest situations. We had uh, the remnants of Tropical Storm George going over Indianapolis. So it canceled all practice, canceled qualifying, um, pushed the race all the way to Monday. There was no on-track activity before the race, which is the first time that's happened since 2003. Our data goes back to 2005 for the loop data. So this hasn't happened in the era of loop data. So we had no idea what to expect. I, I ran the model with no practice data, and it was around a 0.53 R squared, but I figured it would be even less predictable than that. Uh, just because of the, the strange circumstances, and it really was unpredictable. Uh, you know, the the field got set by owners' points, so Kyle Busch started first, Kevin Harvick second. But I definitely said, you know, play one or the other, or play neither. I definitely said don't play both. And while both Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick led at times, they both got shuffled back into the field, and a lineup with neither of them did actually end up being the winning lineup. Uh, so a really balanced approach, one, and uh, you know, I think that's. That's kind of what happens in these races, especially at a track like the Brickyard 400 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, two and a half mile flat track. You can pit and still remain on the lead laps. There's always going to be different strategies. Made a lot of sense to get away from uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, at least be underweight on them. Uh, and, and so that's kind of what I was recommending to do is play them both. Definitely play them both. But I figured be underweight on them a little bit and have some lineups without uh, both of them. And uh, that did, definitely ended up being the way to go. So it was a really wild race. And uh you know, not a lot of data to go by where we've never had track activity before the race. So, um, yeah, I think in those situations you want to go away from the chalk, and and definitely the chalk was not the way to go this past weekend. No driver was above 27.8% ownership in the winning lineup, uh, including three drivers under 15%. So uh, definitely was a week to get away from the chalk, and, and that's kind of what I figured, you know, with, with the type of track we were at, the lack of practice, and, and just the fact that there was so much uncertainty around it. So once again, really tailor your approach to the predictability of the race. Okay. Let's uh, let's talk just a little bit macro picture about the the playoffs, uh, the playoff field. It is set. Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch, uh, they pave the way with uh, 50 playoff points each. Uh, they are followed by Martin Truex Jr. in third with 35 playoff points. Can you talk about the 16 driver playoff field? Uh, kind of handicap it uh, for us just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was actually a little interesting at the end of the brickyard. Well, not the end. I guess a little bit, but, uh, you know, Alex Bowman and Jimmy Johnson 
were in 15th and 16th based off of the playoff standings. And if somebody outside, nobody outside the top 16 could have caught them in points at the Brickyard 400. But if somebody had won the race, they would have gotten into the playoffs based off of a win. So Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowen were kind of competing against each other a little bit in case somebody outside the field won. And Alex Bowman actually crashed uh, pretty early in the race and finished way back there. So Jimmy Johnson was basically locked in once Alex Bowman crashed. And Jimmy McMurray was up there in third place on the final restart. He got, you know, really was pushing hard for second place, uh, but he wasn't able to pull off the win. So Jimmy Johnson and Alex Bowman secured the last two playoff spots. As you mentioned, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., the top uh, three drivers. I really think Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick are in great position to make Homestead with 50 playoff points each. Fourth place is Brad Keselowski with two, uh, with 19 playoff points. So they're 31 points ahead of Brad Keselowski, both of those drivers, which is a half a race, essentially. So uh, And those playoff points carry through. So they're in very good shape to, to make it to Homestead. And you'd have to expect both of them make it to Homestead as well. Um, barring some major, major problems for one or the other. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. is in third, as you mentioned, 35 playoff points. He's not a lock for Homestead. I think he's definitely had uh, a few, you know, issues here and there and hasn't been quite as strong as Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. But uh, there are certainly some strong tracks for him, especially with four mile and a half tracks in the or sorry, five mile and a half tracks in the playoffs. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. really sets up nicely to make Homestead. After that, it's anybody's guess. The playoff rundown, Keselowski is fourth with 19 playoff points. Boyer, 15. Logano, 14, along with Kurt Busch, who also has 14. Uh, and then in eighth place is Chase Elliott with eight playoff points. Ryan Blaney is the first driver without a win, but he has seven playoff points. Eric Jones, Austin Dillon both have five playoff points thanks to their restrictor plate wins. And then after that, none of the other drivers have wins, but Kyle Larson does, does have five playoff points. Hamlin with three, Eric Almora with one, and Jimmy Johnson, Alex Bowman with no playoff points. So uh, definitely a lot of ground for them to make up. Uh, I really think it's going to be tough for those two Hendrick drivers. I think a couple sneaky names. Obviously, Larson is, is 12th down there with only five playoff points. He yet to win a race this year, but he's been very close. If he gets to Homestead, he has a very good chance of winning the championship at a you know at a steep track where he tends to perform well. Uh, so I think Kyle Larson could be the dark horse in this, uh, you know, to upset the big three. I don't, I don't think he's really a dark horse among the rest of the field, but to upset the big three, I think Kyle Larson is probably the guy that I think could do it the best. Some other names to keep an eye on. I think you know, Clint Boyer has run with, really well this year, um, probably better than Kozlowski, although Kozlowski has won these last two races. It finally vaulted him up ahead of Boyer. But I think Boyer has been more consistent than this year than Kozlowski. So I like him uh, to, to be in the final eight at least. Ryan Blaney's been very strong. Kurt Busch has been very strong. Uh, and then Chase Elliott and Eric Jones have both come on really uh, towards the middle of this season. So it'll be interesting. I think the final eight will probably consist of the big three plus, uh, in my opinion, plus Boyer, Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney, and then a battle between Chase Elliott and Eric Jones. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm thinking. Maybe somebody like Kozlowski or Logano can sneak in who's who've been, you know, especially Logano has been really consistent this year, but just hasn't had a ton of upside I don't really see anybody with, you know, between Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin, Eric Almirola, Johnson, and Bowman getting in. But if any of them could, it would be Denny Hamlin, who's just been super consistent, but has very little upside he's shown this year. No wins uh, and only seven top fives when you compare him to, to other drivers like, uh, you know, 
Truex, Harvick, and Kyle Busch, they have a ton, but then Keselowski, you know, Boyer, Logano, Chase Elliott, uh, Kyle Larson, they all have as many or more top fives than Denny Hamlin. So Hamlin's been pretty consistent, but hasn't shown quite as much upside. Uh, this always uh, interests me when we get to the playoffs. I'm curious about the dichotomy between the drivers who are, it's not the chase anymore, but the, the drivers who are in the playoff field versus the drivers who are just kind of going through another race uh, who have the possibility to win and to you know win money associated with the race, but don't have the possibility of really advancing further in the playoffs. Um, how, like what? How does, does does that have any impact at all on what we should do in terms of DFS? Do those types of drivers tend to race differently in these last ten races of the season? I think where you'll really see the difference uh, might not be with the drivers outside the playoffs, but the drivers who are in the playoffs fighting to get to the next round. We've seen a lot of the, the incidents or the late race passes or the big gambles come from drivers maybe like Eric Almirola or maybe like Austin Dillon or, or Alex Bowman or Jimmy Johnson trying to make it to the next round. I remember uh, the year Ryan Newman finished – the very first time they set up the playoff structure like this, Ryan Newman – uh, basically punted Kyle Larson out of the out of the way on the last lap because he needed that one point to go to the next round, and that actually ended up getting him into the finals uh, when all was said and done, and Newman ended up finishing second in the championship that year. That's where I think you're going to see the big risks taken. It could be risk reward, so those drivers could make either very good you know GPP plays, but maybe not so good cash game plays. But you are right outside of the top 16, your drivers like Ryan Newman, Paul Menard, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Suarez, McMurray, etc. Uh, these are the drivers that, you know, it's great to finish 17th, be the first driver to finish in the point, you know, the highest in points of the drivers that didn't make the playoffs. There's a little bit of a bonus for that. But outside of that, you know, if finishing 18th, 19th, 20th, it's not a whole lot of money to make just for the final championship standings. Where you will make the money, as you said, is if you win a race, that's going to be a lot more worthwhile than moving from 21st to 20th in the standings. Now, of course, winning will also move you up in the standings, but uh, if you take the wrong gamble, it can move you way back. But it, it, it's much more upside to win a race so you will see some drivers make some calls but we haven't seen so many crazy strategy calls this year that, that have gotten people out front i really think the brickyard 400 was one of the most exciting strategy races just in general because of the last chance to win and it is a race that really sets itself up for strategy there aren't too many of those races that set uh set up nicely for strategy in the playoffs other than maybe the charlotte road course which is a whole unknown uh, beast, the the Roval there at Charlotte, half road course, half oval. So uh, yeah, I don't think it, it it affects DFS as much for those drivers outside, but definitely the drivers on the edge and the inside in this first and maybe second round of the playoffs. That's where uh, you know some risk reward takes place. Okay, obviously we're going to talk about the Vegas race. Before that, I should remind you that you can get a special discount to a NASCAR pass for I believe now thirty five dollars through the NASCAR podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, the $35 is a new price. That is the lowest price that we're going to have uh, for the rest of the season. Ten races left, uh, a good price, so go ahead and jump on that. Uh, also, if you are subscribing to the Rotoviz NASCAR package, then you have access to a lot of great tools and data. With all of the research that you are doing, you should place some NASCAR bets at mybookie.ag. Uh, Nick, one bet that you placed in particular was the props. Uh, I play the props every week. I think you you play a lot of the props. It was Jones over Blaney. Uh, 
I think you maxed it out everywhere you could. I maxed it out everywhere I could. Uh, it was wonderful and glorious. Uh, do you want to revel in that? Yeah. Oh man, that wasn't even close. Uh, so they were when we when uh, when we you know talked about it on the on the pod and when I wrote it up at the Action Network article, Jones and Blaney were even money against each other. Um, so like minus one fifteen versus minus one fifteen at most of the sites and. I maxed it out everywhere. Everything in the model told me Jones over Blaney. It, the sim scores, the model, the history, the current year stuff at, at the same types of tracks, everything. Uh, and so I maxed it out. And for whatever reason, I did that on Saturday night. For whatever reason, on Sunday, when I wake up, the line had moved even more towards Blaney. And Jones was plus 120. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I maxed it all out now. Because now it's plus 120. I could have gotten even better odds. And I would have just absolutely hammered it but it, it wasn't close and then you look at yeah. the race blaney never got anywhere near jones it was just a slam dunk and there's a lot of value in nascar props and a lot of it a lot of it can be figured out especially mid and late season just using the road of his uh tools here so uh you know if you if you maxed out that prop bet in different places uh you would have paid for your road of his subscription many times over yes uh so the the props the nascar props at my bookie uh, they are fun, and uh, they are a great way to leverage your Roto- your Rotoviz subscription and to supplement your NASCAR DFS action. So join MyBookie now. They will uh, match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Use the promo code NASCAR, uh, mybookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. Okay, let's talk about Vegas. It is a one-and-a-half-mile tri-oval. Uh, it hosted a race earlier in the year. Uh, so we have a sense of what racing is like there. Uh, Nick, can you recap the first race and talk about what we normally see at a Vegas race? Yeah. Uh, so interestingly enough, the first Vegas race this year um, was it was kind of cooler temperatures. It was like 61 degrees, 60 to 65 degrees. I still got sunburn, of course, uh, even though I lathered myself in sunscreen. But that aside, it was a much cooler race than we're going to have this weekend. But what did happen is... Kevin Harvick dominated. He led 80% of the laps. Uh, there was a little bit of strategy in play early in the race. Uh, Michael McDowell actually ended up leading 11% of the laps because he had a, a different strategy. Um, but other than that, it was really the Kevin Harvick show. Logano did lead a portion of the race uh, as well. But but by and large, it was very difficult to pass. Kind of a boring race. I, that was, I usually say every NASCAR race is super exciting in person. That may have been the most boring race I've ever seen in person, period. Uh, maybe other than one of the IndyCar races I watched at like Richmond many years ago. But uh, yeah, that was it was a very boring race. Uh, Kevin Harvick just dominated. It wasn't close. He was he was the only car that was really easily able to pass. Uh, and outside of that, it was it was pretty much a procession. A couple things I do remember: Paul Menard had a strong race. Um, Chase Elliott did have a good race going until he and Clint Boyer had basically the only major wreck of the day. Uh, or not Clint Boyer, Kurt Busch, I meant he, he, those two had basically the only wreck of the day. And then Clint Boyer ended up having uh, a loose wheel, which cost him track position at the end. But other than that, pretty standard <laughs> kind of single file procession uh, where Kevin Harvick just absolutely dominated. It was cooler temperatures. This is forecast to be hotter temperatures, which I actually think uh, makes things almost even more boring because usually we see more crashes in cooler temperatures because cars can be a little faster, a little more on the ragged edge. Uh, we tend to see less incidents, even though the track's a little slicker, we tend to see less incidents because cars are going slower and they're not quite as on the ragged edge. Uh, so 
Um, could be even maybe even more of a boring race this weekend. Although the one thing I will say about hotter temperatures, it does make the track slicker. You can have a car slip up out of the way, but usually it's not something where they can't catch it as well because they're going a little slower. Um, but Kevin Harvick, a perfect 150 driver rating in that first Vegas race. That's like a quarterback with a 158 QB rating, essentially. A perfect day for Kevin Harvick. Okay. We have a normal schedule this weekend, uh, presumably weather permitting, everything like that. What yeah, will we your, don't get rain here. <laughs> yeah, what will your content schedule look like? Uh, it's going to be the nice normal content schedule. Um, obviously, after final practice tomorrow, we're going to get the article up, the apps updated, uh, and then Road of His Live, I will record tomorrow evening. So uh, make sure to get your questions in using hashtag RVLive. Nice, normal, calm weekend schedule. Sunday, I really won't be available because, well, the race is here and uh, I'll be there. So um, not a whole lot for me answering Twitter questions. Although I will say uh, I was answering Twitter questions Sunday morning in the in the tailgate lot. And very last minute I tweeted, I wouldn't say last minute, but a couple hours before the race, I tweeted uh, about how much I really liked Eric Jones. And, and I thought he was going to be a really low-owned play. He did end up in the winning lineup. And uh, everybody stopped wanting to call it the Menard pick of the week and call it the Menard and Jones pick of the week. <laughs> but uh, yeah. so maybe I'll have a chance to, to tweet out a couple nuggets on, on Sunday morning. But generally speaking, probably don't expect much from me on Sunday. Okay. Uh, the Vegas race will have 267 laps, uh, you know, presumably. Uh, dominators will be important. What are the statistics that you're looking at to determine dominators at Vegas? Yeah, so for most, you know, uh, mile and a half tracks that we've been to this year, uh, it's it's the same stats and, and it's going to be the same thing at Vegas this year or at Vegas. It's, you know, how have drivers performed in laps led this year, especially at the mile and a half uh, or large oval tracks. Uh, and both fastest laps and laps led, and then uh, also their driver rating at, at this year and at these tracks. So it's really kind of just the bread and butter track of NASCAR. It's it's Vegas might be the most uh, average mile and a half track as well among all of them. So uh, this is a really really going to be where you want to pull in all the mile and a half data and just mostly look at that for dominating performances. Uh, I will say that you know. Talking dominators a little bit, it is interesting because we've got Eric Jones in the poll, Joey Logano second, Denny Hamlin third, Kyle Busch qualified fourth, and Kevin Harvick qualified fifth. So uh, it does make it interesting. Do you pick Harvick? Do you pick Kyle Busch? Uh, do you pick Eric Jones? Maybe somebody else is their contrarian dominator. Those are all things we're going to have to kind of consider after practice, and practice data will definitely heavily, heavily factor into it, especially the long-run data. Uh, we had drivers making 30-lap runs in – the first Vegas race. So we'll have to see if we get 20, 30 lap data uh, as well. Uh, I know NBC has been doing the average practice speed, whereas Fox did a lot of the 15, 20, 30 lap run stuff. So we'll have to see what we can get. But that practice data will also heavily influence dominator choices. As far as number of dominators, usually two at Vegas. So if you look two years ago, it was Truex and Keselowski. Uh, if you look a couple years before, uh, you know, three years ago, it actually was a little more spread out. But, um, you know, Jimmy Johnson, 28 and a half percent, Logano, 27, Kyle Busch, 14 and then Kurt Busch, 11. But really, you're only fitting three of those into your winning lineup. So two to three dominators. I think the first race this year may have been kind of an exception with, you know, Harvick just absolutely crushing McDowell at 11 percent. He would have been in the winning lineup, except he started 15th and ended ended up uh, having problems and finished 37th. I think he blew a tire. Uh, so really it was a one dominator race. Uh, I think you're going to go mostly two, 
some three and some one. I would probably lean, given what we've seen this year, a little more towards one than three. But because of the way uh, drivers are starting, you know, with Jones in first and Logano in second, I think you might see one of those two possibly dominate. And then maybe one of Kyle Busch or Kevin Harvick or, or possibly Martin Truex Jr. type, you know, big three dominate. So I'm looking at a two dominator race mostly. Okay. Uh, so that's for dominators. What are the statistics you were looking at to gauge overall driver performance? Yeah, I mean, it's really like like Vegas uh, or like I said, for dominators, it's really kind of the average mile and a half track and you're going to look at almost the exact same things you're going to look a little less at dominance performance but more at driver rating uh, a quality pass percentage at these mile and a half this year and overall this year especially if you remove like restrictor plate and road course races if you just look at the steep flat and, and large oval tracks uh and remove restrictor plate and road course uh you can look at year-to-date data from those three tracks driver rating quality pass percentage and then especially focus on the mile and a half. And you can pull in the two-mile ovals as well. There's kind of lumped into the large oval category there. So mostly driver rating and or quality pass percentage. They're very highly correlated. Um, driver rating pops out in the model, uh, but but both are just as fine. And I think at a track that's hard to pass at, like Vegas, maybe you do want to pull in quality pass percentage a little bit, even though it's not showing up in the model. Uh, if, if there's kind of similar driver ratings, quality pass percentage can be kind of a tiebreaker between two similar uh, drivers and driver rating after that fastest lap. So not laps led, but fastest laps, uh, tend to just kind of show which drivers are faster at these types of tracks. And that does end up, uh, being predictive of finishing position as well. So fastest laps at the mile and a half tracks this year. Okay. And, uh, what is the predictiveness or the predictability of the model this weekend? Yeah. Uh, it is uh, pretty good. It's around 0.68, which puts it kind of in the middle of the pack of the mile and a half. Um, you know, Atlanta's on the lower end, Charlotte kind of in the lower mid end at like a 0.65. Um, the new Texas was around a 0.68. Uh, this is around 0.68. You've got uh, Chicagoland, which was 0.75. That was really our high predictability one. So this is kind of in the middle of the pack of the mile and a half. But overall, the mile and a half tend to be on the more predictable side of all of the tracks. So it's a pretty predictable race, 0.68 this weekend, R squared. Okay, and what is the historical incident rate at Vegas? Um, with the with the pretty low incident rate in the first race this year, uh, you know, we did have the the McMurray issue, the McDowell issue, and then the Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott issue. But that was really only four drivers uh, where that had kind of major issues. Everybody outside of that didn't really have a major issue. So we're talking around 12% in, in the, the 2015, like the low downforce era at Vegas. I should say 2016 to recent. If you go back towards 2013, the Gen 6, still the same, around 4, 13, 14%. So I'd say it's going to be pretty low, maybe five cars uh, on average or any, with a range of you know a couple to to – if it's a crazy race, eight, but I think it's probably going to be on the lower side of that uh, range. So, you know, five, four, three cars, maybe maybe six would be pushing it. Okay. Uh, with a relatively low incident rate and relatively high predictability, uh, how do you think that is going to impact G, uh, GPP strategy? Yeah, so this is sort of similar to Chicagoland in that Chicagoland was a really high predictability uh, really low incident rate, well under 10% uh, in, in our in our history here that we have for data, and that proved to be the same. So we kind of want to go similar to Chicagoland if possible. Um, however, you know, it, it 
this is a little bit different than Chicagoland in that in Chicagoland, we had seven drivers uh, get sent to the back because of inspection and qualifying and all that jazz. Uh, we don't have that case this weekend. So it's going to be a little harder to just kind of construct a bunch of chalky lineups. But, you know, I will say sticking closer to the chalk uh, with some variations off of it makes a lot more sense this weekend. So I like I like being kind of more chalky with the drivers up front and less chalky with the drivers mid pack and back. Uh, I think there's you know some good pivot plays in midfield and back. Uh, and I think there'll be some obvious values as well that you could possibly get away from. So we'll kind of talk about that when we talk about the drivers that that we like. And, uh, you know, obviously, though, it'll be before practice. Okay, well, let's start talking about them. Uh, we've already had qualifying. So based on that, and then based on the key metrics that some of these drivers have going into the race, who are the guys right now that you're liking for cash games? Yeah, so for cash games, I think it's really interesting. Martin Truex Jr., uh, right now, he qualified 10th. So that sets him up pretty nicely for um, you know some place differential, whereas you know Harvick and Kyle Busch are 4th and 5th. But the thing with Truex is, I don't know why, this makes zero sense to me, but he's priced at $9,900 this weekend, whereas Kyle Busch are 12-3 and Kevin Harvick 11-7 each. I mean, that's, that's just a huge discount to these guys. If you look at uh, driver rating in the first Vegas race, obviously Kevin Harvick had the perfect 150, but then there was just a, a jumble of drivers in the 110 to 117 range. It was Larson, Blaney, Truex, and Kyle Busch, uh, who were 117, 14, 13, and 10, respectively. So, you know, if they're all kind of similar uh, and we like quality pass percentage, um, you know, I, I definitely think Martin Truex Jr. would get the nod over somebody like Blaney and was neck and neck with Kyle Busch. But he comes at a huge discount and actually had a better driver rating than Kyle Busch, which is a more important statistic by 113 to 110. Um, maybe that's kind of you know, not really a, a significant difference. But essentially, he's he's Kyle Busch, but with a huge discount. Right. So uh, a two thousand four hundred dollar discount. So I love Truex in cash games. Um, some other names that I think are very interesting in cash games would include either Clint Boyer or Eric Almirola. They start 15th and 16th. I would love to see their practice times. Um, both of these drivers are top, you know, 12 or even better drivers this year in terms of mile and a half. And, uh, you know, especially Clint Boyer was racing pretty well before that issue bit him at, at Las Vegas. So if you're looking at the first Las Vegas race this year, um, discount that for Clint Boyer, obviously with the loose wheel. Uh, a couple other names. Paul Menard starts 20th. I think he's very much in play for cash games. He's priced way down there at 7,400. He was up there in the top 10 for most of the race in the first Vegas race. His average running position was exactly 10. He finished ninth, started 12th. This week he's starting 20th. Um, so, you know, I think his price hasn't really adjusted enough there. So those are some names I'm looking across some different price points for cash games. It's really going to be tough for me to say, you know, Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch or, or maybe like an Eric Jones or Logano as far as a dominator for cash games until I see what's going on in practice. Okay. And who are the drivers right now you're thinking about for GPPs? Uh, so some GPP names, I think, uh, especially as we like go down the field a little bit, um, Austin Dillon is $6,700 on DraftKings. We look at uh, we look at qualifying. You know, he did qualify 18th, which is a little higher than you know maybe somebody like Newman in 22nd. But uh, you know, he's he's been Austin Dillon's been about as good as his teammate this year. Uh, if you look at the first Vegas race, they basically had identical statistics. Dillon finished two spots behind Newman, but ran two spots ahead of Newman 
for most of the race and actually had a better quality pass percentage. If you extend it to all large ovals this year uh, and look at driver rating, you've got Austin Dillon um, a couple places again behind Ryan Newman, but uh, he's also at a big discount to Ryan Newman, 6700 for for Dillon, $7,600 for his teammate Ryan Newman. Um, so you know, Austin Dillon has basically the same driver rating as Alex Bowman, uh, as well, 68.5 to 68.4 uh, driver rating, whereas you know, Bowman gets to 0.1 nod, but he's $1,000 more expensive than Dylan. Uh, so I like Austin Dylan kind of as a pivot off of, of somebody like a Newman or a Bowman, especially Newman who starts 22nd, um, I think is a fine play. But I think Austin Dylan's an interesting GPP pivot. Uh, we've got some other names here. For example, uh, if one of the other of Clint Boyer or Eric Almirola, like I said, shows better maybe for for cash games i kind of like the other for gpps just because both have been very good this year uh, i think both are definitely in play uh, another name that i think you know, people will probably sleep on is somebody like ryan blaney starting in sixth blaney as far as uh, driver rating this year at the mile and a half has the sixth best driver rating but as far as dominating performances he's kind of been maybe the fifth most dominant driver uh, fifth or sixth kind of tied with kyle larson in terms of dominator potential uh, it, at the large ovals this year, right neck and neck behind uh, with Carl Ar- Kyle Larson behind the big three. And then Kurt Busch has also been pretty dominant at these mile and a half tracks. Uh, and Kurt Busch is another interesting name who starts eighth. So I like either Blaney or Kurt Busch kind of as a contrarian outside shot of the dominator. And either way, one of these two could have a very high finishing position when I think most people will be on Jones or Logano uh, as the kind of the, the cheaper or maybe even Hamlin starting in third as the cheaper option for, for dominator potential relative to you know, drivers like Harvick and, and Kyle Busch. Okay. And then finally, uh, do you have a Joe Dirt cheap driver for this race? Yeah. So our Joe Dirt cheap range usually ends up under 5,500. I will say I do like Regan Smith at 5,500 kind of as a GPP play as well. He starts 25th. He's replacing Casey Kane in that 95 car. Casey Kane's been suffering from some dehydration issues. Uh, and he starts 25th, so people might think that's a little high, especially with you know, drivers like Bubba or, or David Reagan or A.J. Allmendinger starting behind him. But uh, I think Regan Smith could do just as well as those drivers and be a bit of a surprise, be lower owned than these drivers. Uh, although at the price discount, maybe he ends up going a little bit higher owned and, and maybe somebody like Bubba Wallace starting 31st ends up as a great GP play. But if we want to dig down into the Joe Dirt cheap range, uh, you know, Jeffrey Earnhardt has been pretty strong in 30 uh, in the last few races and has been a good GPP play uh, for a few of these weeks. So um, he starts 35th. I think he's you know potentially in play. But outside of that, I don't think we're talking like a ton of. Uh, great plays here, low attrition rate. I don't think we're diving down to the Joe Dirt cheap range as much. Maybe Landon Castle starting 37th as well. Um, but those would be the two drivers I'm eyeing would be Landon Castle and Jeffrey Earnhardt starting 35th and 37th. Okay, one more time. Uh, when should people be looking for Rotoviz Live and the rest of your content? Yeah, so uh, all of that stuff will be on Saturday. So final practice it is from 3.30 to 4.20 p.m. Eastern time, which, of course, is uh, 12.30 to uh, 1.20 Pacific time. So that'll be Friday, final practice on Saturday. And then I'll get right to work on the article uh, and then uh, get the apps updated immediately as well with the updated data from practice. And then after that, uh, I'll probably do re- – I'll record Road of His Live around 8 p.m. Pacific time. Um, and so make sure you have your questions in. I'll have it posted to rotaviz.com slash live probably by 9 p.m. Pacific time, right? Recorded at 8, half an hour to hour show depending on the number of questions I get. 
and have it up around 9 o'clock Pacific time, which is midnight Eastern time. But you'll have plenty of time Sunday morning to watch the show and set your lineups because you know the race is Pacific time on Sunday, 3 p.m. So it's noon – or sorry, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific time. Uh, so there will be plenty of time for, for you guys to check it out Sunday morning. All right. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS.